You probably know an abiding interest for me has always been urban mythology, and it reaches back to the days when I used to read books. I'd have to look him up. I think it's Jan Brunemeyer. He wrote a book called The Vanishing Hitchhiker, for example. And these are stories that people tell, and they're almost like folk tales. And they're not true, but people always tell them as if they are. But now urban mythology is in another vein altogether. It's about things like, well, you know, Big Pharma's covering up the fact that ivermectin is actually useful against COVID. It's not. It's been studied. Um, and you get into all kinds of crazy nonsense. And with COVID, it has been way over the top. And you've probably come across this in your social media feed on a regular basis, the idea that people are dropping dead from heart ailments as a result of the COVID vaccine. And it finally got to the point where, you know, I mean, I was inundated with this stuff. And so I had to keep on going online and going back to the official stats to confirm that it's actually not the case. But a lot of people probably with this endless traffic are thinking maybe it is true. So I thought, okay, let's uh, let's settle this. Let's talk about scientific nonsense. Let's talk about COVID. Let's talk about the vaccine. And who better than Timothy Caulfield? He's the Canadian Research Chair in Health Law and Policy at the University of Alberta. He specializes in scientific nonsense. And he joins us now. Nice to have you, sir. Uh, thanks for having me on. Let's first start by sort of establishing how much currency there seems to be these days in social media for nonsense stories about people dropping dead. I mean, everything from videos to somebody who's just died of cancer and they insist, oh, this person died because of the vaccine. It's absolutely remarkable. I've studied the spread of misinformation and conspiracy theories and how science is represented in the public sphere for decades. And even I am amazed at the degree to which this has got traction. And uh, it's not just among fringe people. You know, you see individuals who are, you know, aren't on the margin. I'll characterize them that way. Embracing this idea or, or, or John, at least being open, open to it. This is a hardcore conspiracy theory that is rooted in nothing but lies. John, one of the reasons I'm so amazed by this is even common sense tells you this is completely absurd. Okay, but even I will confess that as I go through my Twitter feed and I'll see, you know, somebody highlights a kid who dropped dead in Atlanta and a doctor who was found dead in, in you know, Beijing, whatever, and I'll think, okay, there maybe there is something. So I have spent a lot of time investigating this in order to prove it is false. A lot of other people just take it as it comes. One of the reasons I, I think this kind of story, and you know this, you're a storyteller, one of the reasons it takes off is because it is a story, right? It is this compelling, dramatic, scary, often heartbreaking anecdote that grabs your attention. So it plays to our negativity bias, you know, that cognitive bias that makes scary things stick, right? It plays to our confirmation bias. So if we're already slightly vaccination hesitant, or perhaps we have preconceived notions about the safety of the vaccines, it, aha, this is confirmation that I'm right. But the other thing it's really important to recognize is these are dramatic, measurable, countable events. So this isn't even like an amorphous, is this really a symptom or not? You know, unfortunately, a death is a very countable event. We know, right? We can measure whether there's been an increase or a decrease. One of the reasons, other reasons I think it's sort of so conceptually incoherent is look at the attention that the Hamlin event got, you know, the football player that collapsed. That was like front page news. 
if people were dying in the thousands and that's what's being proposed here and even more like we would know it'd be it's such a <laughs> so measurable so here's something I asked you in an email this week, and I spoke with Isaac Bogosh about it as well. I think it's important we establish what would be the protocol if this were true. There is, in fact, very robust surveillance mechanisms around the world, not just in Canada, but around the world for adverse reactions to, to vaccines. They're remarkably sensitive. Uh, a good example of how sensitive they are is think of the blood clot controversy that emerged early in, in the pandemic when one of the vaccines was associated, as you know, with blood clots. We were able to pick that up with the surveillance mechanisms, even though they were extremely rare, right, extremely rare, we were able to pick that up. We were able to pick up the extremely rare myocardia concern, uh, which is extremely rare because of these surveillance mechanisms. So if people were really dying in in the thousands, it would be more than just obvious. Not a day goes by that somebody doesn't send me some reference to Simon Gold, Peter McCullough, Asim Malhotra, RFK Jr. What are they in this game for? Like, why does somebody like Simon Gold run this this thing on the internet? It's amazing that people are still, I, I'm, I agree with you, I get daily, probably 10 a day, uh, someone will email me or text me or DM me evidence from one of these known fraudsters, <laughs> known identified liars, right? You know, there's this cohort of, a, uh, you know, just a, a, maybe 20 people that drive the public discourse in this sphere. It's amazing. So what, why are they doing it? Simone Gold is doing it for money. Uh, as you probably know, she you know markets ivermectin, and and she in fact is in a lawsuit with uh, the America's frontline doctors, uh, this organization that she started because they claim that she defrauded them. Do you love it <laughs> that the fraudsters are arguing amongst themselves? <laughs> and that's all about money. The other thing, other reason, and Simone to be in this category too, is they're doing it to build a brand. Peter McCullough, like, what is motivating this guy is incredibly because he's, he's a been, legit cardiologist isn't he yeah he's lost his license baylor medical college has said you cannot use our name anymore they got an injunction against him and still he persists but now it's become who he is right it's become their brand and you know we're I'm on this path i got to keep going a brand making money and also just playing to an agenda that maybe they believe in do you think that minds can be changed though is there a way to talk to an anti-vaxxer about this we're not going to change Peter McCullough's mind. No. <laughs> I'm an optimist, John. I'm an optimist. You know, you have like, I, I think it, there's been some really interesting research. Yeah, you've probably come across this yourself that shows that the number of hardcore conspiracy theorists maybe has, hasn't increased that much. Have you, has he, have you seen that data? Right? I have you, no. You know, it, and it depends on how you define it. And that's, you know, in the, the academics who work on this, you know, are, argue about, about that. Uh, so I, I think it's very difficult and research backs this up to change the minds of those, you know, hardcore conspiracy theorists, right? So who they are. You can, and there have been examples of that people changing their mind, but it's, it is rare. The problem is, and even with died suddenly, we're seeing this, they infect the public discourse of, let's say, the 30 to 40% that are open to it, or, you know, they have some reason that they're open to these ideas. And we've definitely seen that with vaccines. You see that with, you know, climate change. You see that with other, other topics. The problem is those hardcore uh, voices are having uh, an impact on the broader public discourse. And I think that that's where we can have an impact. And, and research tells us we can have an impact. Thank you for this. Appreciate it. Uh, thanks for having me on, John.
That's Timothy Caulfield. He's the uh, Canada Research Chair in Health Law and Policy at the University of Alberta. Also, in the most recent honours list, uh, he was somewhat astonished to be awarded the Order of Canada. And we talked about that uh, when we were yakking on the phone yesterday because he's uh, chuffed. But his problem is that most of the time he wears a T-shirt, so he doesn't know where he's going to wear the pin. One of the funny things about the Order of Canada is you are mandated to wear it at all times. And for some people, that can be a bit of a challenge.